A friend recently sent me a uh, picture of a new shirt that's for sale. It's hilarious. It just says 2020 has a one star review and the review says very bad, would not recommend. This year has been one of massive disappointment, disillusionment, and just a wave after wave of horrific losses all across the board. It seems like we're in a very peculiar and extraordinary season in the world. Uh, and to deal with it, we've personified 2020 as a person who's doing very bad things to us. It's one way we're coping with it. A friend recently said to me, 2020 is a, then they use an expletive and said, they're not my friend. Um, it made me laugh and chuckle be, because of just how kind of raw it is and just how we've all felt um, various things in this year that it's just been a year of change. It's been a year of loss. It's been a year of trauma. Um, I, I don't want to speak to the like long list of death we've been experiencing this year. I mean, it could go on and on and on about it. But what I do want to do today is I'd like to speak to you as a pastor. Uh, first and foremost, Jesus is our pastor. He's the pastor, the pastor. He is one of my favorite titles for Jesus is he's the great shepherd of our souls. Uh, but if you'd allow me, I'd like to, um, underneath Jesus as kind of an under shepherd, just speak to your heart today as a pastor in regards to 2020. How are you doing? How are you coping? How are you managing? Uh, what are you doing with the complex feelings inside of you? How are you managing to stay healthy? When daily we are bombarded with bad news, trauma news, news that is truly heartbreaking and gut-wrenching by the minute, that has an effect on your soul and on mine. And if you've even been remotely digesting the news, that steady diet has an effect on you, just like food has an effect on your body. Not to mention how our daily lives in existence are changed and kind of under constant threat, it seems. How are you doing, really? How are you doing? And further, what are you doing with the answer to that first question? Um, back about 14 years ago in 2006, uh, Shari and I got married. Uh, actually, next week, I think it's next week, will be our 15-year wedding anniversary. We were married in 05. And right after we got married, um, or just before I got married, I went to work at uh, the, the church that I had grown up in. It was a big church. It was um, a very special church. And um, went to work for some people that I'd long idolized. I had put them a little bit too high on the pedestal. And in 2006, I my whole life kind of came apart. I realized um, the people that I was working for, these pastors who've been so good to me, uh, were not who I thought they were. And um, there was a lot of things happening with money behind the scenes and, and just a long um, kind of turnover of people in the church. And it just was a very unhealthy um, environment. I've told the story numerous times. I'm not going to get into it. But um, at, when I ended up leaving that church, one of the things that happened was I entered into the season of disillusionment. 
Uh, everything I believed about God was now in question. Everything I believed about the church and God's people was now in question. Even what I chose to do with my life or, or the calling I, I, I surrendered to in my life was now in question. And I was a few months into this marriage with Shari. Um, I did not know what to do, and I was freaking out on the inside. Um, I had really kind of become an atheist at that point for about six months. I did not believe in the existence of God, was actually pretty antagonistic to the faith. And um, long story, I ended up in a Baptist church. Um, I have just an affectionate uh, place in my heart for 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 Baptist. Uh, and I ended up in this, this kind of small group of people who are all in a similar uh, stage in their faith and just experienced over about 18 months, massive amounts of healing. And um, there was kind of the leader of our group. Her name was Marianne. And she was, um, I think, in her like late 60s, early 70s at the time. And we were all young, like in our 20s. And we, um, we nicknamed her because the Matrix had come out. Uh, we nicknamed her the Oracle because uh, there's a big truck driving by. Sorry. Uh, we nicknamed her Brakes. Okay. Should clean those up. Uh, we nicknamed her the Oracle because every time she like spoke to us, um, it was like God was speaking through her. So um, one day I was really struggling and um, she threw me a lifeline and she uh, taught me uh, the, the, the chapter in the Bible that I want to teach you today. And it's Isaiah chapter six. If you've been around church, you've probably um, heard uh of Isaiah 6, or you've even heard it mentioned, or you've heard a song. And I, if you've had any kind of extensive background in church, Isaiah 6 should be familiar with you. But um, she uh, unpacked it for me in a way that was so helpful to me. And it was really a lifeline to me 14 years ago. And I would truly say, if it weren't for Marianne uh, discipling me and pastoring me uh, in a tough time with Isaiah 6, I am pretty sure I would not be here um, in front of you as a pastor. I'm not even sure I would have made it in the faith. So if you have a physical Bible, um, I want to strongly encourage you to go grab it. Um, you can pull it up on your phone. That's totally fine. But but I, um, it is of utmost importance to me that I show you where this is at and I get your eyes on the text and we'll have it on the screen. But I, I want you to form a connection and a relationship to Isaiah 6. So I'm going to grab my Bible. You go grab yours and uh, we'll read it together. This is um, Isaiah's uh, recounting and retelling of um, his calling into ministry. Isaiah 6, verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, I have always stopped there. I've never taught beyond this, but there's some, something very important in this next section that I think is a strong word to all of us today. Verse 8. He says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And that's kind of the end of what the Lord says, but Isaiah puts in a line of commentary here. The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of our Lord. The first thing I want to highlight for you here is it begins, this vision begins with an anchoring in time, Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah wasn't perfect, um, but for the most part, he was a decent king for Israel, and the nation of Israel enjoyed a long time of peace. If I remember right, it's about 50 years. Uh, the nation was actually thriving under him, and until the very end when he lost it, he was one of the better kings that the nation had. King Uzziah dying was a national tragedy. It might be similar to saying, in the year President Kennedy was assassinated, or in the year two airplanes hit the World Trade Center, um, or in the year that Pearl Harbor happened, or you know, you get the, the, the feeling of, of these, these moments where something tragic happens and there's kind of a, um, a dark cloud on the nation. Um, and the year that King Uzziah died was the year that uh, peace and prosperity ended in Israel. Uh, it was a year where the external thing that was working for most people died. And we could drag this phrase into today, and if we were to write Isaiah 6 today, we would say, in the year 2020. You know, in the year that Australia suffered wildfires for six months. In the year Kobe Bryant and Gianna died in a helicopter crash. In the year COVID-19 shut everything down. In the year I lost my job. In the year I lost my church. In the year... I lost a loved one. In the year that I contracted COVID-19 and was in bed for a month, in the year of civic unrest, in the year where Ahmaud Arbery was murdered while jogging, in the year Breonna Taylor was killed in her sleep by the police, in the year George Floyd cried for his mother while being executed on the sidewalk, in the year riots and protests went to a whole new level, in the year that the president tweeted, in the year Jacob Blake was shot in the back and was paralyzed. In the year that my kindergartner started school through Zoom. In the year Chadwick Boseman died of cancer. In the year 
that I had to teach students virtually. In the year I risked my health by teaching in person in a classroom. In the year I was labeled as a frontline worker. In the year I had a quarantine birthday, anniversary, a celebration. Um, in the year so-and-so was elected in the nation, ripped even further apart. In the year you fill in the blank. You get the point. What do you do in a year that gets a one-star review? What do you do in a year like this year? What did Isaiah do? We see literally Isaiah looked up. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And in moments like this and in seasons like this, we tend to have our eyes down on a screen with news. We have our eyes down on the earth as we should not have our head in the sand, but, but, but there are these, always these times where we need to look up and we need to lift our eyes above the screen or lift our eyes above whatever the thing is, or lift our eyes above the heartache and look to the Lord. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is kingly language or regal language and the contrast is really beautiful between this dead King Uzziah in the year that King Uzziah died. And then we see that there's an undying King of heaven and the beautiful poetry that is there of this contrast of these kings. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the undying king of heaven. There's a throne, the train of his robe. This is all regal king language. It's wonderful. And what Isaiah is saying is in the year that our earthly king died, in the year that the external thing no longer worked for us, I saw the heavenly king alive, seated on the throne. He's seated, not pacing, not looking for plan B, not scrambling. He's seated, he's sovereign, he's calm. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, lifted up, seated. In the year of 2020, are you seeing the Lord high and lifted up, seated, not pacing, sovereign, not pacing, seated, not looking for plan C? Next thing I want to point out here is, is above him, above the Lord stood the seraphim. Isaiah sees these like superhuman composite heavenly creatures in God's presence. Uh, for us post-Western uh, or post-modern Westerners, this is weird because uh, it's, it's not a common artistic thing we see, but in the near ancient East, uh, this was a common um, artistic form, these kind of composite creatures. Uh, you see this especially in like Egyptian art. Um, these two cre these creatures, um, they're doing two significant things. The first thing is they're covering themselves as a sign of humility, as a sign of respect, they are covering themselves in the presence of God Almighty. They are humble, right? They're not in God's presence flaunting. They're covering themselves. So, so key. But second, they're worshiping. And they are declaring God's holiness to one another back and forth. They're saying to each other, to one another, holy, 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 or awesome, 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 or wonderful, wonderful. I mean, just stacking these words on top of each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Almighty, as some translations say. The whole earth is full of his glory. And uh, here's a great takeaway for you. When you worship the Lord God Almighty, you tend to see 
earth from heaven's perspective. Uh, from Israel's point of view, the situation is a one-star review. Their beloved king is dead. It's a time of mourning, loss, and grief. It's death. It's, it's trauma. It's tragedy. But the seraphim say something different. They are looking down on the earth, and they say it's actually a sanctuary. They say the earth is full of God's glory. How can the seraphim say the earth is full of God's glory, that it's a sanctuary when the boots on the ground would say it's a one-star review? They have a different perspective in God's presence, which is usually what happens when we spend time in God's presence. And I'd like to just ask you, have you spent your time in this season in God's presence? How have you spent your time in this season if you were writing Isaiah 6, how would you write it? In the year of 2020, I, and then what did, how would you fill in the blank there? In a few years, when we look back at this moment, are we going to say, wow, I, I really caught up on a lot of shows on Netflix. In the year 2020, I looked at a screen and saw seasons of shows and on Netflix. Or, or will we look back and say, in the year 2020, I looked up and I saw the Lord. I fasted, I prayed, I interceded, I worshiped, I sought his will, sought his advice. Will we remember these days as days of prayer and fasting and intercession, of being on our face in his book? Or will we remember these days is days where we spend all of our time on Facebook? Will we remember these days as days where we distracted ourselves with anything but him? It was really amazing to me to hear almost immediately in March, April, and May, and June, July, even now, how quickly people pivoted to binging on Netflix or something similar or some excessive numbing and entertaining behavior. I heard a lot of it. I heard a lot of people bragging about binging on a show and I heard almost no one talking about binging on prayer or worship. And I think that that says a lot about us. This isn't a guilt trip and it's not an effort to shame anyone, but I think it's just telling that Isaiah's inclination is to look up to the throne of heaven in the midst of a national tragedy and loss. And it seems like for the most part, ours is not. We binge, we riot, we, we cancel people we disagree with, we cancel relationships, we run, we leave churches, we leave groups, we find distractions. It seems like we do almost anything but run to Jesus when the pressure's raised a bit. The fourth thing that I want to point out here is that the foundations and the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And there's this image there of foundations and thresholds shaking. I don't know a person whose foundation has not been shook this year or is shaking right now. And I'd like to just ask how are you doing with the foundation shaking? Are you acknowledging? I know some people who aren't acknowledging the shaking. They're pretending nothing's shaking, nothing's shaking, nothing's shaking. And it's like, dude, there's like, it's like sheetrock falling all around you and your head's covered with white dust, but you won't acknowledge that the foundations are shaking. How are you doing with the foundations shaking? The fifth thing that Isaiah says here is, woe is me, for I am lost and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's the King language again. 
What I love about Isaiah is the maturity there, where even though he's in the midst of people who are sinning, he says, woe is me. Woe is me. Notice that Isaiah is in the midst of people who are sinning, but he says, woe is me. The, the reflection is on me. There's a lot of woe to you going on right now. If you were to sum up cancel culture in biblical language, it would be woe to you. And I understand why the world would do this, but for followers of Jesus, based on his teachings, particularly the ones to bless and love your enemies, we are called to cancel people. Followers of Jesus should be building cultures of curiosity, cultures of asking questions, cultures of compassion, not, not cultures of cancel. When, when we forget we're sinners, we quickly look to others and say, woe to you. Jesus would, would say it like this. Uh, you try to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye, but you have a log in your own eye. I uh, recently found a prayer um, as I was studying, and I've never heard this prayer before. It's a very simple and radical prayer. I almost fell out of my chair when I read it, and it goes like this. Lord, please help me to forgive those who sin differently than me. You should memorize this prayer. Lord, please help me to forgive those who sin differently than me. If you find yourself in that state of not being able to handle um, the differences, uh, even the sins, I mean, a lot of what we see is sin and it's evil. We're not condoning that. But when you see the sins of others, do you quickly move to, I'll cancel you, I'll fight you, I'll kill you, woe to you? Or do you first say, wait, 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 I mean, how am I a part of the problem? Woe is me. Perhaps the prayer, Lord, please help me to forgive those who sin differently than me, could help you if you struggle with that. And the, the next thing is, is Isaiah's commission. Basically, in verse 9 and 10, we, we hear the commissioning of Isaiah, where the Lord tells Isaiah he's got a hard job to confront people. They're not going to listen, and it's actually not going to go very well. His ministry is going to harden the hearts of the people. And Isaiah gets it in verse 11. He says, how long? Right, he understands completely what the Lord is asking him to do. And the Lord answers him, and at the end gives him this image of a stump. And at the very end, like I mentioned, Isaiah adds some commentary, and he says, um, you know, and, and though, prior to that, he says, and, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like the terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled, period, quotation mark, and here's Isaiah's commentary, the holy seed is its stump. What is a stump? It's an unsightly reminder that something beautiful and fruitful is gone. We don't like stumps. No homeowner or landscape designer or architect has ever desired a stump in a landscape design. There are whole companies who specialize in stump removal. But there's that last line, the holy seed is its stump. Another way, of, uh, of talking about this is to say, things aren't what they seem. This whole business of the stump is basically the Lord saying, things don't, or things aren't what they seem. You, you may hate the stump. The stump is ugly. You trip on the stump. The stump's in the way. The stump is a reminder of death. 
If the tree fell on your house and destroyed your property, the stump is a reminder of that event. We don't like stumps. I don't like stumps. But in the kingdom of heaven, there are new beginnings. There's actually life and fruit inside of stumps. Jesus came from a stump. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, as we read in chapter 11 of Isaiah. His body crucified on Good Friday is a stump. The stump was buried, and three days later, life, a new beginning for you and me, came from the stump of Jesus. 2020 is a year of stumps. We all have stumps in our lives right now. COVID is a stump. Zoom is a stump. For many of you, virtual church is a stump. As an extrovert, preaching into a camera where I can't see you is a stump. Our nation, our divided nation, is a stump right now. If you're a person of color, it's nothing but stumps. When the news of Chadwick Boseman, the actor who played um, Black Panther, when that hit, my friend texted me and said, for the black community, this is insult to injury. He was the first black superhero, a representation of black excellence and dignity. He was a king. My friend was saying, another stump? What stumps are you resenting right now? We all have stumps and none of us like them. And if you're like me, you resent the stumps. I resent the stumps. I've got a stump in my life. I hate the stump. I hate that it's there. I, I, I wish God would take the stump away. I resent the stump. But God's coming to you in the stump. God's coming to me in this. He's doing things in me through my stump that could not have happened unless there was a stump. So is there any stumps in your life that you're resenting right now? How are you doing with the stump? How are you processing the pain of the stump? How are you doing with it? Where are you looking when you see the stump? Are you tripping over the stump? Are you pretending the stump isn't there? How you fill in the blank? In the year of 2020, I, where'd you look? What'd you see? What confessions did you make? Where did you seek to serve people? Just like Isaiah, taking responsibility, saying, woe is me, not woe is the community, but woe is me. Then receiving forgiveness and ministry from the seraphim, he quickly goes to, send me. I'll go and be a servant. In the year of 2020, I fill in the blank. One of our heroes, Eugene Peterson, in the message translations, he, he ends this chapter like this. He says, uh, the country will look like pine and oak forest with every tree cut down, every tree a stump, a huge field of stumps, but there's a holy seed in those stumps. The hope inside the stump, the hope inside of whatever is your stump is Jesus and like Isaiah tells us, he is high and he's lifted up. And as your pastor, I want to encourage you to look up. This year ain't over. And even when January comes, it doesn't mean things are gonna be different.
There are more things down the pipeline that are hard. Guarantee it. Don't know what they are. Guarantee it. We're walking into an election season, which will be probably my, I'm just my estimation, one of the craziest elections we've had, at least in our lifetime, but maybe in American history. It doesn't matter who wins. It's going to be crazy. Family members will be uh, divided against because of this. Uh, church members will be divided against because of this. There will be so much division. I'm just, and I'm just looking at November 3rd, my birthday, which is this election. How's that for a birthday? Where are you going to look to the Lord when our nation is coming apart as it already is? Where are you going to look to the Lord? Where are you going to look when, unfortunately, another person of color is hurt or shot or injured? Where are you going to look? Where are you going to look? What are you going to do? Look to the Holy Seed. Look to Jesus. Look up. Do what Isaiah did. I think we can all learn from him. Heavenly Father, what a heavy year. What a, what a one-star review year. And Lord, there's just not much we can do other than looking to you. But I specifically ask right now um, for my friends and my, my faith family and our, our church who is watching and listening and who is coming to terms with how difficult 2020 has been for whatever reason it is. God, I pray that your presence would, would come down from the throne and surround and to be near. For those who are angry and, and, and um, judgmental and condemning and don't know how to process, Lord, I just pray you would meet them right there and you take over. Lord, help us. We just call for your help. We call for your help. I, I don't know what else to say, but we need you. We look to you. We call for you. Help us to adopt the attitude that you had while suffering. Help us, like James taught us, to consider it all joy. Lord, we pray for your work to, to come in us and to work fully through us. And, 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 and Lord, really help us to see others and see where you're calling us to love and serve, just like Isaiah did. Even when it's hard, even when the call to love or serve others is hard, Lord, help us to do it in your strength, in your um, energy from the Spirit. Come and help us, Lord. And we pray for peace, God. We pray that you would bring a revival in the hearts of, of of our entire nation, especially when it comes to the racial injustice that we see, that you see that breaks your heart, God. Help us as a church and help your church as the church to know how to lead the way in this. Lord, we just invite you to disciple us in this area. And, and Lord, for those who, who haven't seen the, the, the horrors God, I pray you'd open their eyes. God, I pray you'd give them your heart, that, that where your heart breaks, Lord, give that to us. Help us to see the gospel in all of this. 
and to be agents of reconciliation as you call us in Corinthians. It's in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit we pray. Amen. Finally, let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.